1: As you know, you might have just listened to the episode where I spoke about what happened in Sevastopol because that was a long one, but there's quite a lot of news that are happening still nonetheless. So if you're listening to this one and you missed the Sevastopol one, which is a bigger analysis of naval subjects, which I'm not an expert in, but you can like go and check it out. It's going to be great. It also explains why I didn't make episodes for a bit, uh, It's because I was getting engaged for you who listened to this before that one. But... uh Yeah, hope you're listening to both of these episodes. This one's gonna be a bit more organized because I know a bit more about economics and politics than I do know about navies, so that's a thing. But this is recorded just after that one, just so you knew. So some things might change during the day. First of all, just uh, right now we found out that Euro Parliament has now adopted a resolution in which the regime of Alexander Lukashenko in Belarus has now been formally declared illegal, and that it's that it's co, co-responsible to all the war crimes that Russia have been doing in in Ukraine, which is interesting because this means that Lukashenko is also now formally judged, and he him, or so it's so it would seem. However, it's really interesting that it just happened right now. I thought that was happened for a while ago now, but. Um, You know, last time we spoke about all this stuff, well, there were these um, so-called regional elections and everything. This is kind of uh, crazy. With the campaigning and everything that happened last weekend, yeah, basically everyone avoided talking about Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Two governors and local representatives even mentioned the military operation, either on social media or on, on their speeches. And there was nothing about this. There was just lack of interest. Uh, Vyestka, one of my sources, investigated this lack of interest of, of, of the war in Russian society. And, well, all of this situation ended up being very muted. A lot of people just decided not to, and that was just weird. No one really cared about anything that's happening with the war. But a few governors spoke about this. This just means that in the regions, people are way more worried about their own living. But, you know, have to check on the things that actually happened. Well, obviously, in the so-called elections, which by this point we can just see as a uh, precursor to the upcoming so-called Putin's election, the ruling party, United Russia, reported strong results in all of these Ukraine-occupied regions. Of course they would. Despite the fact that they literally forced people to go out and vote under gunpoint, um, yeah, apparently in Zaporizhzhia region, 83% voted for United Russia. In uh, both peoples' republics, Donetsk peoples' republic and the uh, Luhansk peoples' republic, 78% and 74%, and the Kherson region, 74.8%. They don't consider they don't control the majority of, of any of these places really, but you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, in all the regional races, of course, you know, the Russian candidates received more than 80% of the vote. Uh, just everywhere. The only governor to win an election with less than 70% of the votes was Valentin Konovalov, the governor of Khashoggi, who received 64%. But, you know, however, he was a proudest candidate representing the Communist Party in the race against United Russia's candidates, and it was all weird. There were actually some vote-outs, some regions, but... All these so-called elections, they show a trend with uh, the fact that in central Russia, candidates won more than 80%. Three out of uh, five candidates in the Far East won with 72%. It was always 76%. And all this stuff, yeah, this just aligns with the key indicators that the administrations received in advance. Ideally, United Russia candidates were supposed to win more than 80% of votes in central Russia, more than 70% of votes in Siberia, more than 75% of votes in the Ural's. And all this total nonsense. Very few victories, minor ones, with um, with some surprises, and mostly United Russia. Of course, no surprises there. Absolutely won, except Yabloko party, the only legitimate opposition party that I think still exists somehow and is still allowed to exist, won some party seats in Yekaterinburg and Vilyuiki Novgorod city parliaments, and its candidates won in single mandate districts in two other cities. This year, they, by the way, campaigned under the slogan for peace, one of the very few ones who actually spoke about something. And uh, yeah, and in Yekaterinburg, the party was also recommended by the widely Smart World Project, so something happened. Something. But that's all about it. Of course, tons of these things still go went on, total cheating, but just to mention about this. That was important news, obviously, here come from well... Vladimir Putin, once again, he um, he managed to meet with uh, Kim Jong-un. He was invited to go and visit North Korea. Kim Jong-un stated that he, the glorious North Korean nation will always support Russian struggles against imperialism. And now I have to figure out what, um, what will he want in return for providing some supplies and ammo. Because it's just insane when they're having official diplomatic discussions. Just... Really shameful, to be honest. However, well, Putin also gave a speech at the so-called plenary session of the Eastern Economic Forum in Vladivostok. Interestingly enough, North Korea wasn't invited there as a participant of this forum. They just arrived separately. It's just, it's a mess, because I think North Korea seems that they have some other dealings with other countries and they just um, are in the power position here, which is interesting. So Medusa published uh, Notable excerpts, which I'm going to read here to you because this whole thing was three hours long and terrible. And uh, a lot of people just complained about him speaking absolute nonsense once again, and it was completely bizarre. Mm. On Ukraine's counteroffensive. Let's not talk right now about whether it was a failure or not. It hasn't gotten results. They've suffered losses, big ones. Since the start of this counteroffensive, they have lost 71,500 people. Um, where is this figure coming from? Putin didn't say. Uh, but that's okay because they always say random numbers which they have pulled out of their own asses. Carrying on, in their own words, they want to achieve results no matter the cost. Sometimes it gives the impression that these aren't their people. Our commanders have told me that from the battlefield, we're constantly. Uh, have told me that from the battlefield, we're constantly in contact. Now they, the United States, are going to supply 16s. Will this change anything? No. It will only prolong the conflict. I think this also proves how much Putin actually knows something about anything. And then on uh, Anatoly Chubais' departure from Russia. Anatoly Chubais, by the way, was uh, you know leader of Rosnano and everything. And um, yeah, he moved away. And of course, Putin couldn't uh, go out without some casual anti-Semitism here. Quote, the fact that Anatoly Borisovich is hiding there, that's in Israel for some reason, you know, I was shown some photo from the internet where he's no longer Anatoly Borisovich, Chubais. Instead, some Moishe Izraelovich is living there. Why is he doing this? I don't understand why he ran away. No, that, that's direct a quote, by the way. That's not some rewording of things. That's a direct quote from that one. He also spoke on the cultural figures who have left Russia. Quote, according to various estimates, there are some journalists, there are, these are the same journalists who calculated around 160, 170 cultural figures went abroad. They don't agree with the policies of the Russian state. But it's possible to disagree with the politics while remaining here and to talk about it here. Nobody's banning them from doing that. And I'll uh, enter here. Yeah, you know, no one's banning you except you get to to be put into prison and then you might get thrown out of a window and all sorts of nastiness can happen to you. But otherwise, nothing's banning them from doing that except, you know, total KGB control. Sorry, uh, FSB at this point, but not like it matters. But carrying on from what Putin said. But some people decided they prefer to leave. This isn't just about the views of the people from the art world, it also has to do with material things. After all, in the last two years they've bought houses and apartments abroad and opened accounts there. People want to keep these things, they're afraid to lose them. If a talented person who could be doing something here decides to leave, then sure, we've probably lost something. But on the other hand, I can honestly say that maybe it's better for them to go and work abroad for the interests they want to serve rather than staying here, influencing millions of our citizens and promoting non-traditional values. Because obviously he has to. He, he just has to. Of course, um, on Yandex co-founder, Arkady Voloz and his anti-war statement. Mm. Carrying on with uh, the casual anti-Semitism here, because, oh boy, that's not going to change. Well, he's living in Israel. And I can imagine that in order to live there and have a good relationship with the authorities, he's forced to make certain statements. He stayed quiet for a long time, then he decided to put out a statement. Well, God bless him. Let him have a good life there. It doesn't really affect us, to be honest. If you look at it as a whole, if a person grew up in this environment, received an education, and became successful at something, then his sense of morality should be in relation to the country that gave him all those things. I'm not talking about Volos right now. He's a talented person who built a good company and selected a good team. On Alexei Kudrin, who left his post at the head of Russia's audit chamber to join said Yandex, quote, First of all, we don't keep people as slaves. If someone wants to go, go work in the private sector, we can't force them to stay. He was a good fit, of course, and he was a good finance minister, too. But the audit chamber is working effectively. There is an acting director, and the quality of the agency's work hasn't been affected. I think that when the situation matures, when Parliament chooses a suitable candidate, the personal issue will be resolved. On the prospect of a new round of mobilization. We conducted a partial mobilization. 300,000 people were called up. As of now, in the last 6-7 months, two... (sighs) 270,000 people have voluntarily signed contracts for service in the armed forces and volunteer units. Oh, no. This process is still ongoing. Every day, 1,000 to 1,500 people go sign the contract. This is what distinguishes the Russian people, Russian society. I don't know whether this would be possible in another country or not. People willingly go to serve in the military, knowing that they'll eventually end up in the front. The question is, which people are the Russian people in the Cuba, where you know people are being trafficked and lied to, and teenagers end up signing contracts there? You can never know. I guess these are the new Russian people. But then again, at this point, he's been like stating nonsense. I, I really enjoy the fact that he mentioned it. It's totally okay to speak against government in, in in Russia. Just amazing. On 2024 elections. By law, our parliament should make a decision on the presidential election at the end of the year. When the decision is made, when the election date is announced, then we'll talk. On foreign agents. Uh, he quotes the uh, United States effect. Hmm. This law has been in effect in the United States since 1937. Ours is almost the same, only it's much more liberal. What's a foreign agent in Russia? It's a person who is engaged in public activity while being funded by a foreign state, and this law doesn't prohibit that person from continuing this activity; it just requires them to reveal their funding sources, which again is a complete lie, just as everything else. Because in Russia, foreign agents can be like Yeltsin Center and journalists and people who haven't received any money from anyone else, just. Uh, It's a statement. It's like, it's nothing to do with this. It's, again, one of those cases of completely twisted understanding of everything. And this is just uh, crazy and so bizarre. And uh, surprisingly enough, he also managed to condemn the Soviet invasion of Czechoslovakia and Hungary, but stated that that they have learned from this, and I don't even know why this was asked, but okay, fine. Um, because he also mentioned that these are the very same errors that leading Western countries, primarily the United States, make, Uh, of of course. I mean, at this point, he's like, what, 70 or something, just stupidly bizarre words and statements and casual anti-Semitism just thrown around. It's all just so weird. But finally, the most important part of this, I think, was the fact that um, he spoke about weaponry, Russian weaponry, which is amazing. Quote, and this this is good. Even if we look at the realm of security, weapons based on new physical principles will ensure the security of any country in the near future. We understand this very well and are working on it. Now, um, as- Aslan Yan, a journalist that works for Khodorkovsky's team, commented on this, stating that, well, obviously, if you take like, such academicians as Ramzan Kadyrov, they'll create new physical principles, uh, f- three on Friday, eight until Monday, and then like 15 until like Wednesday. It's going to be awesome. Because, you know, they they can do anything. They totally promise this stuff. And, you know, he compared it to the fact that if you show a two-year-old some, some I don't know, Greek, some sort of fireworks or something, it's going to be the happiest day of their life. And Putin cannot have happiness from just, you know, building a good tank, building a good car, seeing his own people live a happy life. No, no, no. He has to have new physical principles and new weapons and everything. And it just shows how seriously all this should be taken. At the end of this whole mess, the dumbest part of this was the fact that Putin, in this conference, proposed designating September 30th a holiday commemorating Russia's annexation of four Ukrainian regions last year. A bill to create the holiday has been now submitted to the Russian state Duma. The official name of the holiday proposed by the president is Day of the Reunion of the Donetsk People's Republic, the Luhansk People's Republic, the Zaporozhye region, and Kherson region to the Russian Federation. So, yeah, because that's when they signed the, the the self-installed heads and everything. They signed these papers. And uh, let me remind you, Russia does not control any of these four regions. Also, they do not have the volunteers and they do not have the numbers. They have major issues. They they haven't destroyed all, all that many like Bradleys and everything. What was it like? He, he said that Russia has destroyed 18,000 armored cars here. This again, I think all the Zed uh, propagandists are going to be yelling about this situation because it's it's just pure madness. Like, the guy just does not control what he's saying at all at this point. It's just beyond stupid. Meanwhile, you know, on the news that concern us, even more so, because, well, I have to give you information on Igor Girkin. Yes, our buddy Strelkov, which is awesome. See, a district court in Moscow at uh, this point, has extended the pre-trial detention of, of him until December the 18th, which is my name's day, which we celebrate here. Each of our days in the calendar have like a, names attached to them. If you don't have your name in the calendar, I think it's like somewhere in February, one of these days. Mine's December the 18th. Awesome. So <laughs> apparently uh, the Russia's Federal Security Service uh, requested this. The uh, agency is mounting an extremism case, of course. And, uh, well, Girkin's just not getting any, any relaxation. The FSB argued for keeping Strelkov in custody to give enough time for, quote, expert reports to come in. They want to do psycholinguistic, genetic, finger, fingerprint, and ballistic expert reports. Strelkov's wife, uh, Miroslava Ryginskaya, told the Russian outlet Zone that she doesn't know what ballistic evidence there is in her husband's case, because that's about a post and Telegram. What? But again, it doesn't matter. I think Strelkov's gonna be, sorry, Girkin. It's just that everyone refers to him as Strelkov these days, but we have to forget we do not respect the man enough for that. Anyway, that's just bizarre. They're just going to keep him there. In the course of the hearing, Gyrkin asked the court to put him under house arrest. He said he's in poor health and has no intention of fleeing from prosecution. Which, by the way, is totally true, because uh, if you think about it, he mentions this himself, quote, I am wanted by Interpol. I have been convicted to life in prison, so the idea that I might flee abroad strikes me as absurd. I also don't think it's possible for me to flee within Russia, since I don't admit the charges and plan to defend my good name and honor in court, which is a very dumb thing to do, but, you know, who am I to judge this great general? And, uh, yeah, in August, this case had been classified, and it was all just just bizarre. On August 31st, he also announced all the things that would make him a better candidate for president, this made the Call of Angry Patriots
0: disassemble, and it was just a massive mess.
1: But now, now some things about the whole situation with the Russian liberals and why, why they seem some, somewhat um, somewhat interesting to, to deal with sometimes. You see, Estonia just joined Latvia and Lithuania in banning most vehicles with Russian license plates from entering the country. The decision was made after the European Commission issued a set of guidelines for European customs services about implementing sanctions. And this ban, effective September 13th, Will not apply to buses, motorcycles, or diplomatic vehicles. They're going to do a lot of other decisions and everything, but this angers people. And obviously, obviously, well, Euro Commission kind of asked people to you know remove uh, personal items from Russians coming in, like smartphones and uh, cars and everything. So now, well, no one can enter Latvia, Ella, and Lithuania with their car in Russia, and you know it is a bit harsh however it's a security issue and we are getting a bit paranoid and everything of, of course we're not uh, not that happy about all the situation here but what strikes me as odd is that you know I usually read these things and I thought you know i don't know letting russian cars in again it's a mess and there are reasons for this why your commission does this but what's important is that uh, two people well two groups of people one person, Maxim Katz, the guy who uh, doesn't respond to my mails and whom I follow on YouTube and everywhere, who is one of these, um, well, one, one of my old examples of a very um, annoying so-called Russian liberal. He also isn't in very good relationship with Milov, and it, it's a bizarre thing. But most of you probably know Maxim Katz at this point. He wrote a letter to European Europe, European um, Commission, by the way. And I'm going to read this because that really shows his attitude, like I say, about Russian opposition, liberal opposition in general, and, well, why they're not loved that much. So, this is addressed to Director General for Financial Stability, Financial Services and Capital Markets Union Commissioner, Mary McGuinness. Quote, Dear, dear McGuinness, my name is Maxim Katz. I'm a Russian opposition politician, ex-local deputy, and the Russian opposition coordination council member. I was declared by the Russian government as a foreign agent and sentenced eight years in prison for criticizing Russian army war crimes. My YouTube channel is well known amongst, among Russian speakers. That is true. Both inside the country and abroad. If they, if, well, that is also true. And is viewed by approximately 12 million people monthly. Well, th- th- that's a lot, but uh, I'm not sure if that's true, but it doesn't even matter at this point. He continues, I would like to highlight possible adverse effects arising from the recently published clarifications on the European Union import rules for Russian citizens. On 8th of September 2023, the European Commission issued the clarifications for frequently asked questions concerning articles 3G, 3I, and 3O of the Council of Regulation 833-2014. He will continue on carrying uh, it on in the next Regulation. On import rules of certain products, with inter alia clarification, if Russian citizens have the right to temporarily bring personal goods and vehicles listed in Annex Twenty-One and subject to the prohibition of Article blah 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 into the Union, I'm not going to read through all these numbers. I am convinced that the flaws in the interpretation of this article, Article Three Point One of the Regulation, could have dramatic consequences if applied as offered in the answer to Question Thirteen of the of the Frequently Asked Questions. Firstly. A provided interpretation of the Article 3.I of the regulation contradicts the initial sense, declared objectives, and the text of the regulation itself. Secondly, such an interpretation of the regulation undermines the whole previous effect of the economic sanctions implemented on Russia and is targeted at all Russian nationals, not only at those who might be beneficiaries of the current regime in Russia. Currently, several categories of Russian citizens are legally... (coughs) Legally entering the EU and are not involved in sanctions co- circumvention. These categories include, for example, political activists on humanitarian visas, students or student visas, employees on work visas, etc. The list of goods prohibited for import by the current regulations includes and there he bolds, such basic things as women's suits, soaps, telephones, computers, etc., which are necessary for personal use. Confiscating these items will create significant obstacles to entering European Union countries or make the immigration process impossible for the respective categories of citizens. As for the vehicles, it is crucial to leave Russian nationals opportunities to enter the EU states using them due to determination of other means of transportation. Private vehicles are one of the very few available means that allow Russian citizens to leave the country quickly in case of political persecution or new conscription to the Russian army. A decision to prohibit Russian nationals from entering the EU countries on their vehicles could result in more people being unlawfully prosecuted or sent to war forcibly. As you can see, this interpretation hardly aligns with the original goals of the EU, sanctions against Russia. According to Article 3i of the regulation, the import of goods listed in Annex 21 is prohibited, only the import of those goods allows Russia to generate significant revenues, thereby enabling its actions to destabilize the situation in Ukraine. It's hard to imagine that the products brought by Russian nationals for tourist and other non-commercial use would generate any additional revenue or income for Russia. Therefore, their purchase, import or transfer should be explicitly allowed in the FAQ to the regulation to prevent European Union customs officers from misinterpreting the regulation and not allowing bringing these goods. I agree that the current Russian government should be forced to stop the war through all available means, including economic measures and regulations. However, I believe that sanctions should target companies and persons connected with the Russian government and influence their decisions. At the same time, the current version of the regulations in the FAQ includes wording that needs to be more specific and means that too many cases are left to be determined by the national customs officials. This policy creates excessive uncertainty, which does not benefit anyone, but exorbates the current immigration situation. I invite you to reformulate clarifications in the FAQ on the council regulation, blah, 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 or initiate amending Article 3i to clearly state that bringing personal goods and vehicles listed in Annex 21 for tourist, and other non commercial use is allowed for Russian nationals. And this is all good and fine and awesome and nice. But then he adds, I'm ready and willing to advise you on how to make the measures more effective. Best regards, Maxim Kats. Okay, dude, I mean, the thing is, his points are okay, but uh, there's a lot of issues with the whole situation there. There's a reason why they're not allowed in a- anymore. There were tons of agents sent in, and we just we're just trying to make sure that this can be actually regulated and, and cut off. For one, transit business and all these things, yeah, they're there. And currently, of course, all the Russian Telegram channels and all that, all well, that up in arms about the how everything is being, you know how the big big guys can still do everything and how it's just hitting the citizens of Russia. However, this is the point. They kind of don't get the fact that that the, the, these guys are provocateurs. They're being sent everywhere. And that, uh, yeah, just moving abroad to Blackfield, Lithuania, Estonia, all these places with just your Russian car and everything, it's a bit too late for that. This is wartime measurements. And I don't even know why he's been so up in arms about that. That again, personal car is the only thing that you can probably enter with. However, again, it's a matter of national security, and the guys in Euro Parliament are pretty wise about this. I'm not saying it's the best decision, but hey, I respect these guys because whenever they make something, a whole lot of debates go on there because Euro Parliament is not a monolith block by any means. However, the very same fact that he just advises to give expert advice on everything, yeah, I don't know. Again, nicely presuming that he's the smartest kid in the room, but, you know, he should be showing a bit more respect. But at least the letter was worded nicely and showed some problems with the act. However, kind of weird how they write letters about these parts and, well, don't do much to kind of actually note that uh, these people. Who are in sanctions list? They should remain there. They fight to remove sanctions. They they basically want to make their life abroad as easy as possible, which is kind of not what we want. At the same time, the uh, anti-corruption foundation, the Lavandis Group, uh, sent a letter to both Estonian, Latvian, Lithuanian, everything, and they also wrote about the same thing. It's a uh, way more formal about everything there, and they have a bunch of pff, bunch of advice on everything. But from this letter, I'm just going to read the conclusion. Mm. This is about how they, um, mm. uh, they say that this too is totally unlawful. unlawful. The EU's economic pressure on Russia to comply with international law is a crucial measure, and the sanctions undoubtedly require strict compliance. However, it's harmful to apply them in a way that fails to achieve their goals, contradicts normative provisions, generates absurd legal conflicts, harms opponents of Putin's regime who are forced to leave Russia, and gives the Russian authorities arguments for the propaganda machine. It discredits the idea of European economic sanctions, wastes state resources to administer them, but with no purpose. Well... That's a bit of a problem there. That's a bit of a problem in all this situation here, to be honest. Because, well, at the same time, we had um, the Russian television people here and everything, and they started to complain about language language things and everything. And, um, yeah, these guys who are Russian opposition... Uh, yeah, they also stated that r- r- like Latvia needs a second governmental language. People, I think, uh, it wasn't from Deutsch, but like from one of those TV stations who don't work here. They also stated that uh, it should be normal if, if they could like speak in Russian all the time here. It's just that they somehow, yet again, misunderstand the whole idea of um, of why this is done for our national security and by the way, for theirs as well. In in a way, you can't just rent a car here, you know. You can't just get stuff in Latvia as well, or, or if you, if you if you even can enter here or something. that is just a mess. It's just that we've had a lot of these Russian folk over here in the EU for like doing provocateur things, and and there's been conflicts and everything. And yeah, sure, the people on the sanctions list, of course, they should be the sanctions should be enforced even more. they are right now because i doubt that uh we should actively be uh, still buying all the goods that we do from russia at this point however just because this happens i don't know i think that this is just a case of them worrying a bit much and these guys are all already outside of russia anyways and i don't know what, what they're gonna do Everyone already has left. I'm not even sure who could still try to come in and visit all these places. It kind of seems meaningless to me to even do all this stuff, but that's the big new issue. But it's, I think, just as pointless right now when the war is going on as all these people who are already dealing the legacy of what's going to happen after Putin all the time. No one even knows what is going to happen to Putin, and most importantly, when. Let me finish this on a more positive note have some meanwhile in Russian news, some bigger, some smaller, but all the weird stuff that happened from all the regions all over the place. First of all, a Muscovite woman accused a man in military uniform for discrediting the army. A woman uh, told (laughs) about an incident that took place in the Moscow subway where a man without a leg, wearing a military uniform, helmet and bandages approached her. According to the woman, he asked her for money. Uh, she then refused the man after the subway ride she went to the police where she said that the citizen in bandages could not be a participant of the uh, of the special military operation because those who return from there are held by the state because actions could demoralize other citizens and generally discredit the real participants of the special military operation. That's from Riga Novosti. The deputy speaker of the state Numa, Davankov, said that the deputies plan to speed up the development of a bill on compulsory labor for serial snitches. He suggested that the initiative should be named in honor of the head of the Safe Internet League, who tries real hard to be useful to Putin, Yekaterina Mizulina, who appealed to the leadership of the Ministry of Defense with a request to draft a very famous youth blogger, YouTuber of Russia, Dania Micholin, in the ranks of armed forces. Well, Mr. Micholin, being 19 years old, didn't want to stay in Russia and go to the front lines. He left the Russian Federation to Dub for Dubai without thinking too much about it. And according to Vankov, this deputy speaker of the State Duma, mm, Mizulin's request to draft uh, Milochin, who was, you know, reported because he wasn't showing enough of his patriotism, according to the Safe Internet League, mm, "quote scared away thousands of Russians who uh, the country needs now from returning." And uh, I'm surprised because some sort of sanity in the Russian duma thats something new. Meanwhile, Patriarch Kirill has proven that he, uh, well, knows. Um, not that much about the whole history, but you know, what do you want from the old uh, old KGB officer gunjayev Quote, Peter the Great fought against Western influences aimed at weakening Russia. He realized that St. Petersburg could have been occupied by another power. That's why he created forts. They closed the entrance to St. Petersburg. Peter did not believe in the kindness of his neighbors. Um, it's also the same Peter the Great who went to the kind of the great embassy and brought in Western influences and built Saint Petersburg, so that it would be Western and had to cut off the window to the west. And So that kind of means that Peter the Great cut open the window to the west and then promptly closed it. You know, mm, we let in some fresh air and now that's enough. Meanwhile, the, the the president's special representative, Putin's special representative for digital digital and technological development. Told uh, the Eastern Economic Forum in Vladivostok, Dmitry uh, Peskov, not, not the one that the Kremlin spokesperson, we're going to talk about him next, but this guy said uh, something about drones and how much he understands it, and that's the cringe of the week for me. Quote, that's why the good Russian word drone, you know, exists. It's almost the same as drin, which, uh, as Evita explained to me, is a large stick, mostly for combat, also slang for, you know, a, a dick, general one, but only flying. And he added that the, the function of cavalry right now is performed by some by dr- like dronica, which is kind of like a wordplay of Konitsa, which is um basically chariot, except now chariots are the drones and everything. And that's fun, and that's kind of weird because digital and technological development and drones don't work that way, but uh, you know, <laughs> no really cares. Meanwhile, Dmitry Peskov, the one who is the spokesperson of Putin himself, uh said said RBK the following in an interview about whether or not Putin will actually run for the elections. Quote, The president has not yet announced that he will run for president. If we assume that that the president does not put forward his candidacy, it's obvious that no one can really compete with the president in our country at the current stage. It's like, he's going to win. They all know. And I think they're dropping the whole veneer. And the best for last. Well, you know, especially one especially for you, dear Americans. Do you remember Victor Bout? Viktor Bout. I don't know how to pronounce him properly. But yeah, apparently, the international arms dealer, who was released from an American prison as a result of an exchange, has now received a mandate in the legislative assembly of the Udanovsk region. And the list he ran from? Well, of course. Nothing else but our Cyber party himself. LDPR. It's just... Keeps getting amazing, by the day. But yeah, that's it for today. And I hope you enjoyed these news. <laughs> a bit more coherent than the previous one about the bombing things. But again, I've been working all night and for oh, hey, is a bit angry at me about this, which totally makes sense. I can understand her. But uh, lots of news to cover. At any rate, and please, if you want to become our patron and support the show, please do it in patreon.com slash Border. Or just click the donate button on the easternborn.lv. I'd be very happy if you did. And that would help also with um, uh, the planning of the marriage and all that stuff. But, you know, let's follow the example of Victor Boat, who has managed to do something with his life. Just because you are an arms dealer and then, you know, you get exchanged doesn't mean you can't always achieve something in your life. Happiness, after all, is mandatory.
0: Planning for your next trip?